Good morning, everybody. My name is Steve Smith, the editor of PHC News Magazine. And today I'm joined by Bill Gray, the CEO of Upanor. Bill, how are you? Thanks for joining us today. I am uh, I'm very well uh, joining you from my home office in Prior Lake, Minnesota. So where I've kind of been holed up for the last uh, 10 plus weeks, um, yeah. trying to see which direction things are going to go. Time flies, huh? It, it, it seems does. Like working from home these days. We we ourselves have started working uh, from home probably back in March. But, uh, you know, you and I were talking uh, beforehand, before I hit record, and one thing I found very interesting and in just talking to you is that you, the company, Openar, had a, a coronavirus task force back in February. So, I mean, that's pretty early on. I mean, for me, uh, this stuff didn't really start hitting home until first week of March. I went to a trade show where everyone was kind of joking about, you know, bumping fists instead of handshaking. And then the, in the following week, we were all working from home. So what was going on in February that uh, you, you know, you're obviously thinking well in advance. So what was going on in February that made this a priority for, for the company? So so if you remember that we it started out with uh, some of the trade tariff issues um, from a supply chain perspective, we, we started looking um, to make sure that Openor doesn't buy anything directly or any amount of things directly from uh, from China. The tariff uh, woke us up a little bit from the sense of two, three, four levels into supply chain. In other words, your supplier, supplier, supplier uh, may be getting some uh, things like primary chemicals, things for coatings, other other ingredients that are in some of our parts and, and, and things. So we started looking at that. And then when the, when, uh, the news started talking about interruptions in supply chain, very early through some other contacts, I had heard that some of the factories were being shut down. There were companies here in the U.S. monitoring you know, power consumption by city or smog conditions by city and seeing that big areas of China had been shut down. So we just started looking at it and then knowing what we knew from the, from the uh, tariff thing, we started saying, hey, we should, we should be watching this. So it really started as a supply chain initiative, looking for continuity of supply for our customers and making sure that we were uh, doing the right things there. And then once it turned into more of a uh, North American issue from an actual infection and, and a virus perspective, it was very easy for us to transition that supply chain team over into the ESNH or, or the Environmental Health and Safety Group, and then they started meeting. Uh, they started meeting daily, so it was a it was a, a, a fairly interesting kind of a progression. But that task force now meets still daily, looks at what are the what are the issues, and if there's nothing to talk about or nothing changes, the meeting's short. Otherwise, we have a group that has time reserved. So I think we were fairly well prepared on that side. Now, I know, uh, again, from talking to you beforehand, you know, there's a lot of uh, things that came out of the, the, the task force in terms of your plan, trucking, DC's office staff. I mean, what what did you all conclude in terms of, you know, right there at Upadar headquarters to do in terms of the virus? Well, I mean, one, one of the one of the things again is is having that group together and then having it centered uh, originally on supply chain and then it transitioned over to really environmental health and safety and the, um, of course the health and safety of our employees in our workplaces is is first and foremost on our minds. So what we found, you know, as a, as the situation developed, you have not only obviously the immediate health and safety issues, but you have regulatory and compliance and those kinds of things. Um, you had a very dynamic environment in, in Minnesota with, you know, when, when was a, the stay-at-home order going to be issued, a whole process on uh, which companies would be deemed essential in order to keep the economy running and all those kinds of things. So again, we had this group and then we had our, our executive team. So, so this uh, task force fed the executive team with real-time information, which allowed us to 
make the best decisions for the employees and for the company and our customers going forward. So um, it's been um, it's been a real exercise in what I'd call crisis management in a, in a very dynamic environment where, where things literally in the first days of that of the uh, as we progressed into the into the stay at home order, things just things just progressed very, very rapidly. And our executive team, as I said, was able to really make decisions with the, with the best, latest, greatest information. Well, tell, tell me a little bit more about what uh, some of the hard and fast uh, things that you've done there. I mean, obviously, you're speaking from home today, I guess. Yeah. At, at, at Upanor in Minnesota, you've got administrative offices and, of course, manufacturing. So what what precautions? I mean, is everybody working? Administrative, I could see everybody working from home, but obviously, you still got to make things. They're not working. Yeah. Home. So, what, so the, the order... The order in Minnesota, even so, it was the the stay at home order and then the stay safe at home order as it transitioned. But in in both of those cases, the mandate is to everybody who can work from home shall work from home, and that's how Open approached it. Okay. We did a trial run on on March thirteenth, the Friday, March thirteenth. Just again, trying to get out ahead and understand it. And we said, we're going to uh, test our IT systems. And this was a, a, right out of the task force came that said, you know, we're going to test our IT systems. Uh, we have a lot of remote employees already. Most of our sales force is remote home based throughout the United States and Canada. So having uh, robust IT systems isn't, isn't the question. The question is when 300 people are now logging in at uh, eight o'clock on uh, on any morning. What's going to happen? Can our IT systems take it? So we did that dry run yeah. on Friday, uh, March thirteenth, and without with with very very few interruptions, uh, the IT system held out. We did find really quickly and early on that our standard meeting platform was not was not really adequate, and so we did actually a, what I'd call a hot changeover into uh, into a new meeting platform. So people were downloading apps from uh, onto their computers from home and our IT system, our people were helping out that that happened. So we've actually transitioned our meeting software, uh, which is, which has been kind of neat. The real uh, thing was as, as information became available, we were able to give instruction, you know, interpret it for what does it mean for us and then give instructions to our, to our employees. Mm-hmm. From operations, we were deemed very early in the process, deemed as essential because we participate in the in the water and wastewater uh, part of the economy. So things like plumbing and, and, and heating and construction were all deemed essential in Minnesota. So we were very fortunate to be able to to stay and keep manufacturing and serving our customers. Uh-huh. The the nature of our manufacturing is that most of our operators and most of the jobs can be done fairly well without a lot of changes and adapted to to social distancing. And then we took some other proactive measures inside of the plant to make sure that employees were not, you know, running into situations where the where contamination or infection could spread easily. So uh, again, our ESNH team's done a phenomenal job. We have been very fortunate in that we haven't had any known incidents of infection in our plant, but we do have a plan that should something like that happen, immediately goes into place and uh, and again works to works to uh, mitigate any any possible issues that. Mm-hmm. Okay, good, good. So now in terms of uh, output for manufacturing, has, has it suffered at all? I mean, are you uh, obviously had, had to have had some type of effect? Are you still making the same amount of product and meeting orders and all those good things? Well, you know, the great part about manufacturing and, and having um, some of the expansions and the capacity things that we've done, 
operational excellence programs, those sorts of things over the past few years, really getting uh, tight on our systems and processes has allowed us to be in, be in a situation where we can flex manufacturing relatively easily. Like a lot of companies in the building product side or plumbing and heating side of the industry, we had a great first quarter, probably one of the best first quarters we've had. And the comparison in 19 was, um, was uh, pretty easy to beat. Uh, 19 was, uh, again, for a lot of folks, uh, not, not, not the greatest quarter. So when you compare 20 over 19, it looks, it looks really phenomenal. As we got started going in the second half of March, we started to see business uh, slow down a bit. And April and May have slowed down uh, similarly. So, you know, we track fairly closely with the residential single family housing market. So I would say that, that uh, you know, being a public company can't really talk about what are our results for any one month except after they've been published. But you can look at those leading indicators, both on the uh, residential and non-residential, and we can see that. And, and like I said, one of the good things that we have is very good at supply and demand planning, as well as good systems and processes, which allow us to flex our production according to what that demand is. Okay. Well, it's good. Seems like sounds like you're quite on top of things. And that coronavirus task force in February certainly must have... Uh, I, would not, uh, I would not jinx myself to say that uh, our company is on top of anything. I think we're coping uh, as well as, as most in the industry. But again, dynamic. It's a, it's a, this thing, this thing um, changes. If nothing else, it's taught us um, maybe where there are some holes in our system and where we can get better. And uh, a company like, like us and, and most in manufacturing in order to, to operate in the United States, you have to be very good at, at a lot of things, especially around productivity and being on top of your systems mm-hmm. and understanding your business or else you won't exist. Um, so I think that in, in some ways, North American companies have been fairly well prepared for this. Maybe some of the shocks around supply chain will, will cause, cause companies afterwards, you know, once we're through on the other side of this, to, to make some changes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, now, what, uh, what's happening today in terms of what do you hear from uh, your distributors and your reps in terms of, oh, I don't know, construction, orders, uh, demand? What, what's, what's happening now? You know, what's what's interesting is we can't get a clear picture, like a kind of a national picture and peg that there's there's anything trend-wise going on. I think it's fair to say that the initial phases of the virus, all, all, all markets saw some kind of a slowdown. If nothing else, there was changes in work processes. Things, uh, you know, from what I hear from contractors is, yes, we've got we've got work and our projects are moving, but everything is so much slower because of we're, we're doing our best to try to, again, ensure the health and safety of our people, which means different different movement of material and trades on site. And, and a lot of things that you kind of took for granted are harder. Essentially, projects just take longer and cost more uh, mm-hmm. from that perspective. But you've seen, obviously, you know, I think New York is still largely troubled from a construction perspective, just because there's still uh, major counties and cities that are that are closed down. But that's the only one that I'm aware of. Most of the markets have opened to some degree. Yeah, this will have a overall a, a downward impact on both the residential and non-residential markets. When at residential, I think there's a lot of positive things that will come from this at the other again coming out the other side from the single family you know some of the some of the things that have happened in people living in high density situations in cities both from the the, the civil unrest that we've seen as well as the, the the impact or the negative impact of covid-19 you may see a reverse migration i'm hearing in some markets that has happened so you know the, the empty nesters selling their house in the suburb and moving into the condo 
I think you'll see again uh, some of that moving back out into more single family type of settings. The other would be that you would see people who were contemplating to, to, you know, kind of progressively moving out of as they age out of single family and into old age homes and those kinds of things will probably slow down significantly. So you'll have a a trend more around what I think they're calling it nesting, which Uh means trying to try to age in your home uh, as long as can, which then means a lot of renovation and retrofit work in, in single family to make uh, homes more accessible uh, for folks as they age. So a couple of companies like that will come through this at the other, at the other side of this. Mm-hmm. But I think that it's very dynamic and, and uh, we're, we're kind of waiting on the sidelines like everybody else. In some cases, we know that there are things that are going to take over as, as, or, or be increased. And I, th- I think of some of the, um, anything that can help drive productivity on job sites because of, you know, more trades are going to be limited to, uh, to, to space and time and schedules. So they have to be productive in, inside of those windows. So I'm thinking things like prefabrication or as much offsite construction that can happen, kitting of products to be delivered to sites, uh, all of the things that really consume tradespeople's times on site like material handling and, uh, and and those kinds of things. Um, if we as manufacturers can figure out a way to, to help our contractor partners get through that, then I think that we're going to be in, in a good place. Good. Well, that's a lot of good things to talk about outside the company, but let's go back inside. I mean, how mm-hmm. our employees have been through quite a lot, as everyone else has. How, how, how's everybody coping at Upanar? What's going on? Well, I think for the most part, everybody understands and it's it's not like it's, you know, one region that's affected. And if only I could, you know, move to another region, I won't be affected. This is, this is uh, you know, across the United States and Canada. So everybody's similarly affected and, and sort of feels each other's pain. So again, we went to, to those who can work from home, working from home very early. We felt early that we have to try to keep employees as connected as possible. So I think we went one full week of work from home and then we started a, uh, we have um, employee kind of connection program where early in the shutdown, we started doing a a webinar for all employees to dial into and try to keep them, you know, hearing from the leadership of the company, myself and my uh, senior management team, exactly what's happening. Here's what we know now. Here's here's what we see happen, happening or, or here's what it means to us. What are the types of things that employees, you know, resources that employees have for, for uh, support uh, beyond, you know, just working, all those kinds of things. So really, I think trying to be as communicative as possible and as transparent as possible to kind of help everybody, um, bring everybody along at the same rate. And I think relatively speaking, I think it's been, um, you know, with a few, with few exceptions, it's been uh, a pretty good compromise uh, given what we have to work with. Good. Well, I'm sure everyone's been through quite a lot to say the least. Well, we've been talking for a good amount of time. I need to wrap it up and, and you've answered some questions, this question before, but if you were to sum up what's going to happen from from here on out for the rest of the year, at least, what's your what's your gut feeling that that's going to be taking place? Well, I think that for the rest of the year, and that that's challenging. And one of the questions I like to ask some of the colleagues and some of my now my newfound friends in the neighborhood, since we're all working from home, <laughs> that that's probably been one of the, the more interesting things is meeting neighbors I didn't know really existed. We're all walking our dogs at lunchtime and and doing all those kinds of things. But one of the questions I like to ask is, you know, when these these are people who work similar jobs to me in the sense of their travel a lot and uh, and those kinds of things. And I said, you, you know, what's when's the next time you're going to get on an airplane? Do you think? And the consensus seems to be it's probably 
very late this year or, or next year that business travel would resume. Uh, from an opener perspective, we've tried to give our employees as much um, continuity as possible. I don't see a time before Labor Day, at least, that we will be back in the office in, in a traditional setting. Uh, and, it, and even if we are, I don't think that we're going to be cramming uh, or crowding people into meeting rooms. It will be still virtual meetings and all those kinds of things. The, the big insight that I think a lot of the industry and, and companies in general have had is that you can be effective working through in a virtual environment and having meetings on uh, some of the software platforms that are out there today. The, the thing that's probably missing and that we'll have to figure out how to, how to move forward is, you know, a lot of the, there's the formal and informal meetings that happen in offices and in businesses. And I think we're doing well with the formal side, but how do you get, how do you get back to the informal things about trying to keep people connected? Um, and like most uh, human endeavors, it seems like the essence of the challenge or the, the answer to the challenge is somehow found in, in you know, that big word communication. So I think we just have to be more cognizant about that. One of the more interesting things that we've discovered kind of as a, as a leadership team is we are, we're, I believe, fairly effective, but we also have a relationship pool or history to draw on. The, the question to me is, is as, you know, as teams turn over and people, you know, go on to do new, new things or uh, new team members join is how do we bring them on board in this kind of environment? Because a lot of, again, the onboarding piece is the informal communications and, uh, and trying to understand. So, so cultures, uh, cultures are challenged probably from this and especially as, uh, as there's change and turnover there. But again, I think we have to be, it's, it's, it's recognizing that there is an issue, uh, recognizing uh, what are the tools that we have, and then being purposeful in trying to, uh, in trying to solve those things. So I don't think there's anything we can't overcome from that perspective. Let's end it on that note, then. Uh, I know, uh, you know, you're talking about business travel. I've got a conference coming up in October that hasn't been happened yet. I'm hoping to get out there. If not, I know the last time I saw you, it would have been AHR. And yeah. got a press release from them about their conference next year in Chicago. So. We have each other then. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, again, I'm like you. I don't know. I mean, my, my travel involves frequent trips to, uh, to Europe 10 to 12 times a year being a Finnish company. And, and I don't know, to be honest, the next time I'll actually see my European leadership colleagues face to face. I really don't know when that will be. But I, don't, I certainly know it won't be in 2020. So, yeah. Well, I know you and I are going to see each other in Chicago at HR next January. So. I will will look forward to that. Thank you. Thanks for your time today, Bill. Thank you, and uh, thanks for uh, giving me the opportunity to uh, speak with you, Stephen. Very good. Glad to hear from you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye.